17th century technology provided by me. And so if you're going to look on there, you're going to see that it goes week by week what we're talking about. Last week we covered uh, what is called the God Who, and last Sunday was the God Who Decides and Determines. We will be doing a review, a quick review of that in just a moment. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the God who demands of the dead. Think about that. God demands things of those who are dead. This is true. Uh, just want to say something also quickly. Uh, two things that Pastor mentioned. First of all, uh, I just want you to know uh, how I'm treated. Uh, I used to be a pastor, and uh, I, we would sing the song, God lifted, you know, God lifted me, God lifted me. And, and a guy came up and he said, uh, Pastor, that would take some... Uh, heavenly, you know, industrial level love to lift you. And uh, so I said, you know, all I ever do is love people, care for people. That's all I ever do. And then this is what I get in response, okay? And it's not a pity party. It's the absolute truth, sort of. And then how many of you were here the day that Pastor shared with us about one time when the wife was gone and it was just him and the kids, he came out and did his grilling skills. Remember how that turned out? Yeah, burnt sacrifice unto the Lord. <laughs> so he's talking about we're going to have a thing where we're going to be grilling again. He wants some volunteers. Don't you go anywhere near the grill. <laughs> Did you? Wow, wow. I'll have to rethink just a little bit. Now, this must be even an appreciation from, I, I didn't tell you, but I'm going to tell you. Last week, remember, I stopped. He was grilling last Saturday. I stopped by. And he's lifted the lid, and I'm looking at it, and I says, Pastor, I don't understand. Why are you grilling black licorice? He said, these are hot dogs. <laughs> I won't say anything else, okay? I just move right along. All right. You've got to get a little bit of that out of the way. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 6? Luke chapter 6. I said last week in beginning that I ask people to pray, and I continue to ask for that. Because dealing with something a little bit controversial, I asked last week that uh, there's two systems, and they've been adversarial for 1,600 years. One, it didn't start out with the names Calvinism or Arminianism. It, uh, that was with some people who lived in the 1500s and the 1600s, and no, I never met them. So anyway... That, that's what it's called in a popular sense. And there's, the focus is, if you've not studied this, the focus is if you're of the Calvinist or the extreme Calvinism, it's that all the choices that need to be made are made by a sovereign God. So much to the point there are certain Calvinistic people who are against missionaries because they say God's elected them. If they're going to be saved, they're going to be saved. And I don't, I don't need to you know, go in there. And so I'm, I don't understand why Paul and Silas and Barnabas didn't understand that. They could have saved a lot of time. But uh, that's the extreme of that one. The other side of it is an extreme Arminianism that means that the focus is absolutely, totally on the will of man. So much so that man's will in some situations becomes stronger than God. If, if God says he wants to do something, accomplish something, but the man or the woman says no... That's all God can do. He, he can't do anything with that. So those are the extremes. But I ask you to turn uh, to Luke chapter 6, because I just wonder, this is the passage where 
these two, two points go together. Let me get to it here. Luke, Luke chapter 6, and uh, it's a story about a work that Jesus did. And I want you to go down. I want to read from 6 down through 10. This is how the two come together. <clears throat> you with me now? Luke chapter 6, 6. And it came to pass also on another Sabbath that he entered into the synagogue and taught. And there was a man whose right hand was withered. And the scribes and the Pharisees watched him whether he would heal on the Sabbath day, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man which had the withered hand, Rise up and stand forth in the midst. And he arose and stood forth. Then said Jesus unto them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath days to do good or to do evil, to save life or destroy it? <clears throat> and looking around about upon them all, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thy hand. And he did so, and his hand was restored whole as the other. I'd just like to say by way of the comment, if you read through this, you notice two truths. God does what man cannot. This man was afflicted with a withered hand. He couldn't heal himself. He had no authority. He had no power. He wasn't a miracle worker. So he couldn't do anything about that. Only God. But God commands what man can do for us to do. So after he had healed it and the withered hand became whole... Then he said to the man, you know, I've done for you what you could not do. I have healed your hand. But after all, as if he's saying, it's not my hand, it's your hand. And it's healed. So now I'm telling you, I'm commanding you, stretch forth your hand. That's your responsibility. You can do that. I will do for you what you cannot do. But you must do what I command you to do that you can't do. So in a sense, these two systems come together. And that's what I want to do today and over the next two weeks. These two systems are going to be adversarial to one another. I, that's, that's just the fact of the matter. But I'm saying at some point, talking about into salvation, they must come together. Because what I want us to see, that when we're talking about salvation, only God can do what God can do. And God must do what he will do. Because if God is not willing to do what he must do, then there's no hope for us. And God also says to us as people, I hold you responsible to respond to what I've done for you. And if you do not respond, if you refuse to respond in the way that you can do it now, because God's done what he needed to do, now we don't have an excuse. We never did have an excuse, but we really don't have an excuse now because now he tells us to respond to him and there's a whole world that God has done. God has done all that he can do. And yet there's a world full of people who refuse to acknowledge or respect or be grateful for what he has done. So that's what we want to try to do. There's another verse, and if you want to turn there very quickly before we really jump into this and do the review. It's way back in the book of Proverbs. Uh, as you're turning to Proverbs... Some of you know this, some of you don't. I was raised about Roman Catholic. And for the first 22 years of my life, here's what I knew about my church. That is the one true holy Catholic apostolic church. It was the true church founded by Christ at the Last Supper, instituting. And the first vicar on Christ there in Matthew 16, any Protestant, if they got the brains of a, you know, 
anything. They could see it. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. Zappable, right there it is. All you Protestants, it's Peter, our first pope. He's the one. Christ built a church upon him. So all you Protestants that have decided to separate yourself, you know, we're the truth, and all you people are in error. And I knew that because that was the absolute truth. Until at the age of 22, God did the unexpected. He saved me in spite of myself. And then I realized suddenly that what I knew to be true was actually false. I found out as I, <laughs> with a regenerated mind, studied that not only was Roman Catholicism not the true church, if you're honest, it's not a church at all. It really isn't. It's an imposture. It's a counterfeit. So, in Proverbs 18, would you look with me at verse 13? Here's what I challenge myself with, and here's what I challenge all of us with. Because I was talking, I won't tell you who it was yesterday. If I did, it was Cotterman over here at the Bible. But, okay, I was talking with Brother Marty, and we were talking about the fact that we are a lot of times within Christianity and denominations and Bible conferences and, and pastors and speakers and everything, we are the totality of what we've heard, how we've been trained, where we've gone, what we've read, you know. So a lot of us have been in different situations in our Christian walk, and we're not always going to necessarily agree with each other. But here's what I'm saying, because I, I know, and I sh shared this last week, that within this congregation of brothers and sisters, there are some of us who lean towards the one direction, and some of the rest of us lean towards the other. But I say this, I point this at myself. In verse 13, I've always loved this proverb because it challenges me. I always knew that I was true because I was a Roman Catholic. I had never checked out anything else. Why check the heretics out when I belong to Holy Mother Church? Okay. But here's what the Proverbs says. He that answer, answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame um, unto him. Do you realize one of the things why I love, that I, of all the names of churches, okay, I would rather this be Berean Baptist Church than St. Michael the Archangel's Baptist Church. The other one just leaves me kind of cold. But Berean, you know about the Bereans? Luke is writing the book of Acts chapter 17. He says, you know what? Them Bereans were more noble than the Jews up there in Thessalonica. You know why? Up in Thessalonica, when I said something they didn't like, they rioted. They threw me out of there. They weren't willing to listen to anything that wasn't the prearranged truth packaged up just for them by the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. He said, but the Bereans, Paul came in, and they knew who Paul was. They knew that Saul of Tarsus had been converted and gone with this fake Messiah, this Jesus, this boy born of fornication by Mary, who during her betrothal period went and got herself pregnant. And you want us to believe that some Jesus born of fornication is the Messiah? Ha! And yet Paul is one of his followers. And he came in there and they said, listen, Paul, we will listen. We will listen to you. We've heard that you're an enemy of Judaism, but you've come here, so we'll listen. But here's the thing. Just because you tell us what you believe, Paul, we're not going to believe it. You're not the authority. I mean, he wasn't Paul the apostle to those people. And so they said, but understand this. After you're done speaking, we're going to be checking the scriptures every day you're here. We're going to be checking the scriptures daily to see if whether the things you're spouting are true or not. So their authority was the scripture. But they said to Paul, we will listen to you. And Luke said, you know what? That was a very noble thing for them to do. 
So if we're here today, and I'm going to share some stuff, that maybe that's not the way you were raised, or maybe the way you were raised or heard or something like that. We are Bereans. We're noble. So when I get, get in my car, don't throw anything at my car. Don't do that, okay? <laughs> All right. So there you go. Now, I've got to get going here, but before I go any further, I want to just remind you, if you've got anything you want to ask or make a comment, please do it. If I'm busy going here, you know, say, yoo-hoo, raise your hand, throw something at me. Let's do, the re- let's do the review. Here we go. Did anybody raise their hand? Yes, sir. The what now? The, sa- the Sabbath is a, a, a Hebrew word, Shabbat, and it means a day of rest. And it's actually meant for Israel and the Jews. Because for them, as you know, in the book of Genesis, it said that God created the world in sixth day, and on the seventh day, he took Shabbat. He took a rest from everything. So that has to do with the holy day being on Saturday for the Jews. When we are the church, when Jesus was resurrected, not on Saturday, but on Sunday, that became the Lord's day. Now, here's the idea. The Shabbat for the Jews in in Genesis was the creation, the creation that everything that God had made. But in Jesus Christ, He's going to make all things new. It's going to be the recreation of everything. So Shabbat is for the Jews, and what we call the Lord's Day is on Sunday. And here's a mistake. Some Christian denominations make this mistake. Some of them have said, you might watch like Little House on the Prairie or shows like that that are a waste of time. But anyway, what you can do is say, well, it's Sunday, so we're going to go to church because it's, it's the, the Sabbath. We don't go to church on the Sabbath. We go to church on the Lord's Day. The Jews, the Jews go to synagogue on the Sabbath. Shabbat Shalom. That's hope that is an answer. Yeah, we don't. We don't. We understand what the Sabbath is, but it's not for us. Good question. Okay. Um, as I said before, I, I, I come to you. I think about Paul. What he said. I come to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Some of these topics, but Paul came in and he said so. Here's what we said last week. Here comes the review very quickly. God is a God who decides and determines. Because he determined to create, and he did. The greatest thing that he created, the last thing was male and female, made in his image and likeness. And he said, things are very good. We said last week that God was not only a God who decides and determines, but God is a God who demands. And we looked at some verses where even when they were in their innocence, even before sin came, that he commanded them. He, you know, replenish the earth and do this and do many things. He commanded them. He also had a command of prohibition in Genesis chapter 2. Now, Eve was not around yet. This was a one-on-one with God and Adam. And he said, Adam, of all these trees in the Garden of Eden, you, you can eat from every single one of them. But, are you listening, Adam? But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of that tree. For in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And that's the word again. I'm, like I said, going to beat this today again. Because there are some theological systems. I'm not going to go down the trail, but I'm just going to say, there are a lot of people, I've read their commentaries, they refuse to say that we're truly theologically, spiritually, dead. 
I don't get it, but that's, that's their position. And we'll look at that next week and a little bit later on. But that is exactly what they did. I think Heather read it last week there in Genesis 3, 6, and said, you know, do not eat of that tree. The Lucifer comes along, really Satan comes along, this, this creature comes along, and uh, they eat of it. So they're spiritually dead. And we ask the question, why, if God knew all of that was going to happen ahead of time, why did he take the time to create it and call it very good if it was going to go very bad in sin? And it's because of Genesis 3.15. not going to recite that to you. That's the first mention of the gospel. Pastors talk to us about that. That's the first time good news. So God, and I think Derek brought it up, in all of that, God gave us hope. That there was going to be a cure. There was going to be a, a remedy. Yet the question remained, how can that happen? For since that day in Eden, all are born spiritually dead, separated from God. You can check that out in Romans 5. Because of Adam, we all died. And I think it was uh, a brother Derek who pointed out, was talking about it, and he said, you know what, we could have easily been Adam's replacement. Every man in here, every woman in here would have been Eve's replacement, and we would have done the exact same thing. So we can't blame them, because we would have done the very same thing. So we have no one to blame but ourselves. But we said, ultimately we know that everything's going to be reversed, because God would send the seed, the Savior, the Messiah, Christ Jesus, and he would defeat Satan, he would defeat sin and death. And all would be reversed, and in Revelation 21, God could announce, I make all Things new. Yes. Well, I want to be honest here. I've never actually read Calvin's word on how he explains original sin. At that point, though, and I don't know where you're going with this necessarily, but before they sinned, they were truly free moral agents. They did not have a sin nature until after that. And they would have been far wiser and, you know, because they had not received the stain of sin. And so the only thing I could say, I don't know how Calvin would explain it, but I will say he's, he's very wise, very smart, don't agree with everything he said. But all I could say to you in response to that is that they, she chose, Paul says, because she was deceived. But Adam knew she had been deceived, but he loved her so much that he chose to do what he knew was going to happen because he put his love for her above obedience to God. That's what I'd say. Now, I don't know if in any way, shape, or form, if you've got a comment or if that answers anything you're looking for, but that's what I could say. Uh, I'll just say it this way. You know, if you want to talk about this, these words like uh, foreordained or, or predetermined or anything like that, I would agree with you, but I would, I would say this. God, since he knows everything, uh, he, wasn't, he wasn't looking down when Adam took a bite of their fruit and he says, oh, what did you just do? He knew he was going to do it. So he, when you talk about the will of God, you've got the two aspects of it. 
you have the perfect will of God in the sense that what he wants to happen. And yet, there has to be the permissive will of God because he, he allows things to happen. All right? How does, God, how does God feel towards sin? Is he for it or against it? He's big time against it. But yet, I belong to him, you belong to him, we belong to him, and yet he knows we're going to sin, and he permits it. Now, does that mean God is some kind of a sap? No, God is not a sap. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. But he permits things because, as we said from, from last week, he permitted Adam and Eve to do what they did. Although, you know, he didn't endorse it. They sinned. They're, they're, they're responsible to that. But he knew in the biggest picture of, of all creation, whatever they corrupted, whatever he had to condemn, he was going to cure it and make it right again. So I would, that's how I would say that. Yes, sir. Okay, and you're saying about sin, what, say it one more time. Oh, the five deadly sins. Yeah, some of those things are in, uh, let's say throughout church history, uh, certain religious writers, the church fathers, who knows where it comes from, they come up with things that aren't necessarily found in the Bible. And there may be some truth to it, but it's not something you're going to find specifically. Good point. Anybody else before we move on? Yes, sir. Right, if you take it that far. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, just to say that um, we get to a point where because we're not God, we can't really say here's the answer to that. But also Deuteronomy 29 says we can say what we can say. And for people who would try to say, well, you know, since God allowed it to happen, then when I said that, that's on him. No, there's no way in Scripture we are made responsible before God, even as we're going to say here in just a minute, that even when we are lost, when we are unbelievers and we're spiritually dead, God still holds us accountable. 
And some people might say, well, if we're spiritually dead and we can't do what God demands, if he would expect us to still do that, that's unfair on his part. We're going to look at that because, no, it's not. It's not. But thank you for that. I'm going to have to scoot along here. I'm going to have to go here. Uh, we, we did the review. And now I want us to look at a series of verses. And if anybody would say, well, listen, Brother Burkett, we get it. We understand people are spiritually dead. Can't we just move on? Let me lovingly share. No. Uh, <laughs> I want you to, and I want some volunteers for this. So if you're from Tennessee here today, you're trapped. Um, who would like to read, just raise your hand, Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Okay, Brother Sam, Psalm 14, 1 through 3. Uh, I'm go to the big one. I've already chosen over here, Brother Cotterman. He's going to be reading for us in just a moment, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 18. And then one more volunteer for 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 10 through 16. Anybody? Okay, I'm going to run over here. Got you going here. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Now there's all kinds of more verses here, all right? But I just want to get this to say, has God in his Bible ever commented? On when he said to Adam, when you day that you eat of the, uh, the fruit of the tree, of the night, you're going to die. Has God ever uh, commented on the consequences or the significance or the gravity of what that has done to us? Yes, so please listen. So Sam, uh, nice and loudly, listen up everybody. Psalm 14, 1 through 3. You hear that? Okay. That's not what Calvin said. That's not what Jacob Arminius said. That's not what Earl said or Pastor said or Sam said. That's what God said. He says, let me tell you what you're like in my eyes. All right? That is Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. Now, we can read about what's going to be read by Brother Cotterman right now. It's in the, found in the Old Testament. But this, to me, is the ground zero and uh, so I'm going to ask Marty, listen carefully as he reads Romans 3, verses 9 through 18. Go for it, brother. Romans 3, verses 9 through 18. What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3, 9 through 18. Thank you. And this is an indictment that's worse than the one that laid on Trump. 
because you are all guilty as charged. Now be thinking about that. And finally over Brother Nat, he's going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. I'm going to have Nat read it because we got some people in the back there that can't hear as well. And, and you speak in a natural voice. This guy's got a big mouth over here. Okay, good job. So go. There you go. <laughs> verses 10 through 16. Amen. Thank you, brother. I want to thank you for reading. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? That's kind of hard to get through. Thank you. So what I'm just trying to say with these passages that I've read here, there can be no doubt left. You go out to the natural man, to the unsaved, to the, to the unregenerate unbeliever, and you try to share with them the truth of God, they're not going to say, oh, thank you so much for coming. Oh, oh now I understand. No. As Pastor pointed out, using this verse several times, we were talking about inspiration and the thing about the Bible. It's foolishness unto them. How many times does God have to say that what I said to Adam and what happened to Adam 
And what I say in Romans chapter 5 about that the death that Adam brought onto the human race is passed to every single last one of us. We are spiritually dead. I don't know what, I don't know what God could do to make it any plainer. Now, what I want to do is go through three things very quickly to kind of bring this home, and then uh, I'll, with the demand. Let's first of all go back to Matthew chapter 13. Now, I'm going to kind of zippity-doo-dah through here, so if you want to go back and read it a little bit later. I've always found Matthew chapter 13, I'm going to read 1 through, uh, 1 through 17. I find it interesting because I remember the time I first read it, I thought, wait a minute, what did I just read here? I, I read something that I wasn't expecting to read, and yet it's what the Bible said. You're with me now. I'm going to start in verse 2, Matthew 13. Again, bringing home the idea of what is the human condition. And part of this, where you can see it, uh, we get over to verse 15. This is first found in Isaiah chapter 6. Here we go. And great multitudes, okay, big group of people, were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. When he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let them hear. Now this is what I think is interesting about this. i got a dear sister right here. And physically, she cannot hear, but she has heard the voice of her Savior. She has heard perfectly. She needs to repent and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. So she is a living example of these people had physical hearing, and yet they could not hear. They would not hear. So I think it's just interesting that we have our sister here today bringing about this spiritual truth. So I thank her for being here. Now, after he says that in verse 9, the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now I'm going to read between the lines here. Christ taught many different ways. He was speaking to them in parables. And the disciples, they were looking at Jesus speaking and thinking, okay, Jesus is telling them the truth. They're responsible because they're hearing what he's saying. And yet they're looking at the faces of the people. And the apostles can tell that the people do not understand. They're not getting it. What he's telling them, they're, they're not picking up on it. And they're like thinking, like, what's going on here? And so when they said, why speakest thou unto them in parables? What they were saying is, Master, we know why you've come uh, the Son of God has come to seek and to save that which are lost. And yet what you've just told these people, I don't think any of them have understood what you've said. And that's the point. As we read on, Jesus is saying, guys, that is exactly the point. They don't understand. They won't understand. But it's not because I'm not the master teacher. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm bringing home the point of what the problem is. Whether it was back in the days of Isaiah or whether it's in the time that we're here today in 30 A.D. or so, or whether it's in, let's say, June of 2023. The problem with the multitudes, the problem with the people, the problem with the whole earth, 
is that we, as a nation, because of what Adam did, will not. Even though we're accountable, we'll not do it. So, let's just go down through here. Now, again, I'm talking about Proverbs. Just to hang with me, because we've got two more weeks to go. Verse 11, he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you, the apostles, not, not, not of course, not uh, Judas, but because it is given. It's not something they deserved. It's not something they earned. Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Now, I'm not going to go into a long, I want to just cut to the thing. From Genesis chapter 3, give me that word. Here's the clue. It begins with D, ends with D, and it has the letters E-A in the middle. What is the basic problem with the human race? We are spiritually what? Dead. And so what he's saying is, there's been something that's been given to you apostles that these people, the multitude, don't have. And I will tell you what he had given them. He had given them what is known in palynogenesis. It is regeneration. We use the word born again. These men had been given spiritual life. They had repented. They had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So they were spiritually alive. That had been given to them by the love and the mercy and grace of God. But it, it, it's not going to be something that all the world... Is, is everybody in the world going to be saved, folks? No, not everybody. He says, verse 12, For soever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. All right? Now what I would say to you when you're talking about people... He's using kind of a poetic way, just like Isaiah did, in the sense of they will not respond, they will not understand, because they're spiritually dead. Verse 14, And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see, and not perceive. Now here's what he talks about, you understand. Is Jesus being mean to these people? Because when I read this the first time, I was thinking when the disciples said, why are you speaking in parables, that he was going to say, well, you know what, these are rural people, they're agricultural, they're blue collar, they've, they've not been trained, so I'm speaking to them in a way where they will understand, where they, they will be able to, not going to use all the fancy highfalutin theological terms, I'm going to talk to them, and that's why I use parables. And then they would have said, okay, that's nice to know, but they're not getting it. So what's going on? Verse 15. For this people's, now in Isaiah and in this passage, these people would be Jews, but it's not really a matter. You could replace them with a group of Gentiles, you'd have the same result. For this people's heart is wax gross, their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. He says, here's something I want to tell you. I'm not being mean to them. It's not that I don't care. I'm, I'm sharing with them the truth. They are accountable to me. But here's what you have to remember. These people are satisfied in their sin. These people are satisfied with the rules of Judaism. 
These people think they're pretty good because they're Jews and they're not those dog Gentiles. They are satisfied in their sin. And in the Gospel of John, Jesus is not saying it right here. He says, to tell you the truth, I could talk to these people all day long. But unless I do for them what only I can do, then they love darkness rather than light. If anybody should have understood theologically who Jesus truly was, it would have been the Sanhedrin. It would have been the high priest. It would have been the sages. It would have been the scribes. They would have understood. And as you know from reading the Bible, when they did understand, they welcomed him and said, here's our Messiah, let's give him praise. No. They didn't see him as a solution. They saw him as a threat, and they crucified him. This statement at verse 15, you may, I'm just saying this is one thing, it confirms that they're spiritually dead. And then verse 16, the last verse for here, but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. You've received the gift of life, palingenesis. You've been given spiritual life. You are born again. If we in this room would not be born again, would we still be in this room? No, we wouldn't be here. I don't know where we would be. But the reason why we're here today is that, remember what we said last week, we are responsible, but God must initiate. God must begin. It always starts with God. Remember that verse. We love him. Why? Because he first loved us. Hope we're on the same page with that. One other passage to turn to real quickly. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. If you haven't heard me say it yet today, we're spiritually dead without Christ. You probably say, what? When did you say that? Here's Jesus in the upper room. This is the day before the crucifixion. John 15. And I want you to go down to verse 5. You're with me now, John 15 and 5. Jesus is speaking in the upper room to his disciples. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Jesus, why do you always have to exaggerate? Come on. Come on. Listen. You can talk to people. They got double doctorates. They got a doctorate in medicine. They got a doctorate in law. They got nice cars, nice clothes. They make a lot of money. They've written books. They lectures. All kinds of people achieve all kinds of things in life. And you come along, well, unless you're with me, you can't do anything. You can do nothing. <sighs> really, Jesus? Come on. Uh-uh, no, he's telling us the truth. Because we understand the context. Jesus in the Bible says we're spiritually dead without him. But we are very much physically alive, are we not? All them people out there that are spiritually dead, they're physically alive. And they can do all kinds of things. I jotted down some things here real quickly. Uh, they can go to school, get training. They can have jobs, have relationships. They can be involved in art, music, sports, science, agricultural, homemakers, writing, uh, social work, medic, uh, medicine, law, legal. Mount, and this thing I'm interested in, making sure the, uh, uh, the chicken wings tray at the Golden Corral is filled. Okay. Pastor doesn't like Golden Corral. Sorry. Okay. But anyway, yeah. We can do all things as lost people on planet Earth. 
and have great achievements, great acclamation, be loved and, and, and the whole thing. And at the very same time, Jesus is saying, but you're spiritually as dead as a doornail. You remember the one other passage? Can't, I, gotta, I got five minutes to go here. The rich young ruler, he comes to the Lord all smug. Oh, master. He said, thou good master. Jesus stopped right there. He says, don't call me good. There's only one person who's good, and that's God. Well, he didn't realize that Jesus is God because Jesus is good, but he didn't know that. Only God is good. Why are you here? Well, I want to know what I can do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus says, well, you know, you know the law of Moses. Ding, 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 ding. He says a couple of things. Ah, he says all those things I've kept since I was knee-high to a, a, a grasshopper. And then Jesus, I mean, was he doing that? Was it true? Had he kept the law perfectly and all those other things? Had he? No. Say, well, you broke the law right there, Paul. You just lied. Very smug, very self-sufficient. And then Jesus says, oh, you can read through the lines. And he says, well, sir, if thou would be perfect, because that's what the law requires. The law says, hmm. Looks at him and he says, here's what you can do. You want to know what you can do to inherit? Here it is. Here's, here it is. Listen up. Take everything you have, all your belongings, all your riches and everything, and give that all to the poor and then come follow me. And the man says, all right, I'll do it. No. Says he stopped and he turned and he walked away sorrowful because he had many possessions. He came up there smug. He didn't hear what he wanted to hear. So he turned away sorrowful, still smug, and also not saved. He walked up to the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually dead, and he walked away from the Lord Jesus Christ spiritually dead. And we don't hear anything more about that person. So, a lot of spiritually alive people in this world. And also, if you remember that rich young ruler, he wanted to keep the law. He was very religious. You know what's really sad? People who are very, very religious, but who are spiritually dead. So I want to close with this in the last couple of minutes, give you a last chance here. How can I say that this is called the God who demands from the dead? Here's why. We, we looked at it a long time ago, but some of these folks, because the demand started with Adam and Eve in the garden before they sinned. There was a demand placed on them because of creation. Number two, it's Adam and Eve who disobeyed and defied. They were the ones who chose to disobey. They were the ones that chose death. You know why Adam and Eve ended up spiritually dead? It wasn't because of what God did to them. Did God fail them? Did God do anything wrong? Can God do anything wrong? No. So the reason why we're all spiritually dead. In this world today, is there anything going on in this world which is a tragedy, disaster, it's bad, it's icky, it's anything you want? Let's trace that back to our, oh, we trace it back to God. No, you liar. You trace it back to Adam and Eve. All these people, why is God doing this to me? God didn't do anything to you. It's Adam and Eve who did it to you. That's what Job had to figure out. So... If God would cease or even lessen his demand, if he'd say, you know, Adam and Eve, they sin, so they can't be perfect anymore, so I want to be loving, I want to be compassionate, so I'll, I'll drop my demands just a little bit. You don't have to be perfect, you just got to be doing more good things than bad things. Well, if God would do that, he would lessen his demands, he would lose his holiness, and he would no longer be God. So he will not do that he cannot do.
His demands of the dead. All the people out in this world who know not Jesus Christ, he's got a demand on them whether they know it or not. He demands them to perfectly obey and keep his laws and, his, and to remain constant. And that's the way it is. And I close with this example. If you remember in Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20, God says to Moses, now you get on and tell the people I'm going to give them the law, and I want them to obey the law and keep it perfectly. So God presents it to the people, and what are those? They say, all that, the, all that God has said we will do. Did they do it? Not quite, exactly. And then over, even in, in, in uh, Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, he starts giving the commands. And he says, I will be merciful and there and help with all those who keep my commandments. He doesn't say all who make a sincere effort or all who give it their best try or all who try really, really hard. It's perfect. I've got to leave it there. Anybody, we're at the time, anybody who have a comment or a question as we close? Yes, sir. We have a reason to believe that, yes, yes, they're, can, uh, they're later on in the godly line, so we don't read exactly what had happened, but Adam and Eve would have repented and asked God to forgive them, and they trusted in, and he did so, yes. So we have reason to believe Adam and Eve are in heaven. Yes, sir, Doug. Amen. Amen. Thank you for saying that. One last time, we're right at anybody with the last word brief? If not. All right, then. Doug, would you send us on our way, sir? Amen. Thank you for coming. Church begins in 14 minutes and 8 seconds.